Tonight on Rogue Padron, family reunions, a short wait to reunite best friends, a little help from old friends, Cornhorn, Space Pirate, a hot bath and hot fish, Ice Art heats up. The, the, there's a theme of hotness in the second half of this episode. When is there not a theme of hotness in Rogue Pod? <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but I, I don't think we've ever that. spoken about a hot fish before. That's true. Well, <laughs> that's not true. Admiral Hagbar, the Mon Calahati. Oh, what? Okay, I will we not. I will not get all biology on you right now. <laughs> yes, good. It's space, Danny. Leave it be. <laughs> this is Rogue Leader. All wings report in. Rogue 6, standing by. Rogue 7, standing by. Rogue 3, standing by. Hello, listeners. And welcome to epi- to Season 4, Episode 2 of Rogue Padron. We have a good show, hopefully, for you tonight. But before that, quick reminder of your hosts. We have Saf, Rogue 7, who would be the kind of babysitter that would put the kids to bed as soon as the parents left because she's really only there for the fiber internet and hot tub. <laughs> I wish I could deny that, but I can't. <laughs> cannot. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. <laughs> We have Heath, Rogue 3, who would be the babysitter who spends more time with the family's pets and the children and makes them eat something from the fridge while he orders a pizza for himself. Absolutely. <laughs> that is absolutely 100%. me. 100%. Danny, Rogue 6, would be the kid's favorite babysitter because he treats them like adults, but some of the parents would be confused about how and why their children are lecturing them about not assigning gender to robots. Children are the worst. <laughs> don't Whoa. you often work with children but also yeah this is concerning <laughs> adults I'm gonna, are... I'm gonna have to email some employers here. <laughs> like more than any of us you actually work with kids. children are the best and adults are the worst isn't that what I said no no that's not. the opposite that of what the... you said actually your true feeling come out yeah Ooh. Ooh, we're learning a lot of truths on rogue pod children are great <laughs> <laughs> and i'm meg rogue leader and i'm the babysitter who has to make the kids promise not to tell their parents that they spent all night watching horror movies and then make up an excuse of oh that's so weird when i'm told they've been having nightmares <laughs> you're the kind of babysitter i wanted Weird. <laughs> so so unusual. Please do not look at your Netflix queue. <laughs> Speaking of Netflix queues, Danny, God. do you have a Rogue One question? Danny. <laughs> um, yeah, I have a Rogue One question. <laughs> do you... I would love if Danny said that and then just never asked a question. <laughs> um, 
So my question about Rogue One. <laughs> oh my god, what is happening? <laughs> You've got the giggles. So I I really do like children. So Star Wars. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> um, okay. So, earlier this week, we got some breaking news about Rogue One, that apparently Jen Erso's mother is going to be in the film after all, which raises a lot of questions for me. <laughs> Number one, <laughs> since we're just now hearing about this, that means the movie is doomed, right? And number two, more importantly, uh, we kind of touched on this last week. Saf mentioned uh, Lyra a little bit when we were talking about Catalyst, but... What are your hopes for Jin's mother and, and what we see of her in the movie? Slash, what do you die. think will actually happen? Well, I think she'll like, die. This is a disaster, and I can't believe this movie is actually going to come out. They should just ax it right now, because there's no way it could be good. <laughs> I'm really JK. glad we're going to get to see Ray's full family yeah. history. Ray's grandma? That's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think she'll definitely die. <laughs> Star Wars can't resist killing mums. Yeah. Like, and it's I've... amazing Leia's still here. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing for the movie. There were plenty of TFA characters who we either didn't know were in it until we saw it, or that we found out were in it in the weeks leading up to it. Like, I mean, we didn't find out that Akbar was in it until pretty late, right? Am I making that up? Akbar played know. a pivotal role in that movie. <laughs> yeah, but we found... Oh, I think... He was the protagonist's mother, after all. Yes. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Seth, I love that you're just like, yes. <laughs> I didn't yes. realize oh that was Ray's mom, but okay. <laughs> what if Akbar is Ray's mom? I don't know why oh we're not theorizing that. Like, he's always around. <laughs> Oh my god, new favorite theory. <laughs> Mon calamari physiology is very different from human physiology. She could be a- adopted. Are you saying that that's still not her real parent, Danny? Oh my god, what if Ekbar adopts her? Oh my gosh, best new theory. <laughs> yes. Thank you for this, Danny. <laughs> yes, great discussion about Lyra, everyone. <laughs> Have, hey, no, has like, anyone I, given I, a serious I, answer? Did, we, did we just fridge her on our own podcast? <laughs> We're just sticking with the Star Wars theme, okay? <laughs> I'm just happy that there's another lady. That's the usual. There's one more lady. Maybe she can get gay with Mon Mothma, and then they can both adopt Jin because. Oh, that'd be good. I don't know anything about her dad, but I assume he sucks. She just like mm-hmm. gay. <laughs> she can get gay. She can get gay. <laughs> um, so gal pal. the actress that's playing this character is younger than Felicity Jones. So I think the leading theory is that we're only going to see her in flashbacks. <laughs> oh, oh! All right, because not... we already have flashbacks of young Jen. What? I have not been keeping up on news. Like I think it was <laughs> in one of the behind-the-scenes um, reels or something. You can see like a kid Jen um, with the doll, the stormtrooper doll. Yeah the Stormtrooper doll. So we have knowledge of the fact that there's probably going to be flashbacks. So that means that she could easily still be killed in Catalyst and then just be flashbacks in this movie. I I wish I could have more hope. So say we all. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. Well, we are definitely getting the podcast award for most coherent episode right now. Yes, correct. Meg, should we talk about the back to war? I guess. Okay. Let's talk about the back to war. We got some good stuff going on, kind of. Drama. Drama. The most dramatic book in the universe. Okay, remember when we left off, we were at Huff Darklighter's homestead, and Corin was making a fool out of himself, per usual. And so at this chapter, Corin being Corin, his first remark after he finds out that the man in question is Booster Terex, he says, oh, I guess you take after your mother. <laughs> Why does he do this? Why does he open his mouth ever? Because he's Corin. <laughs> I mean, come on. That was a pretty good line. It was. I mean, it is a good line, but not when you're in front of her dad. That's, and the and only reason I say this is because that is literally probably what I would do in that situation. <laughs> <laughs> I would think, think of the most well, awkward thing to say and then say it <laughs> ten times more awkwardly. <laughs> My favorite part was that Corin realized that he made a mistake. After he said it. Character I mean, development. Wow. Mirak starts giggling and Gavin is like, dang, son. And it's just <laughs> so good. Gavin is just in the background like, ooh, right? Uh. And it's important <laughs> to note that he's still dressed up like Han Solo while this is happening. Absolutely. He is. Hero of, hero of Tatooine. When Booster finds out that he's Hal Horn's boy... He is so ready to beat the crap out of Corin. Mirix, of course, stops him and reveals that they like each other, which only sets Booster off more. We like each other. <laughs> and my favorite line from this scene is when Mirex tells Booster, Wake up, father. The Emperor is dead. It's a new galaxy. <laughs> Mirex was acting like <laughs> such, like... A little brat in this chapter right i loved it i loved it she was like a 14 year old who was late coming home for her curfew and was like mm, it's a new galaxy dad right <laughs> come on dad it's 1999 get with the program <laughs> we like each other like like each other <laughs> it was so good you can't stop us oh mirax but it actually all ends pretty quickly, and Booster and Mirax make up, and Corrin and Booster at least call a truce for the time being. Great. When I'm Huff... glad we don't have to worry about those two anymore. <laughs> right? It's done. <laughs> when Huff wants to start an auction to see who gets the weapons, Corrin remarks that they will be taking them, because it's Wedge is, is the person who really needs them. Booster agrees that Wedge should have the weapons, and when Huff still tries to demand payment, Booster makes it clear that Huff will be giving them the weapons in exchange for Booster's silence on some of Huff's more shady business practices. Hmm. Yep. So everyone loves Wedge. Moral of the story. Mirax puts a stop to this and requests a manifest of the weapons cache and that they be allowed to inspect all the materials and pay a fair price on it. Of course, the fair price is still a good percentage under market value, but that's fine. Huff is not happy about this, but eventually agrees to Mirax's terms and offers her a job if she ever wants one. They end up staying as Huff's guests, and Gavin's family travels up to see them. 
Gavin's father, Jula, is amazing and never claps back to Huff's prods about him being poor and having to work the land, which probably infuriates Huff more than anything else. Gavin's mother, Celia, manages not to cry too much, and Gavin regales his siblings and cousins with stories from Rogue Squadron, leaving out the parts where it gets too dark about his own injuries, like almost dying, and the fear of what happens to Big of what happened to Biggs happening to Gavin is there. Okay. Yes. Huff, Darklighter. Yes. <laughs> Jabba the Hut. Same person? Huff, Hut. <laughs> they I mean... both run super shady businesses on Tatooine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's all I'm saying. That's all. Well, you only have to erase a little bit of the F to make it into a T. Exactly. So. <laughs> Stay woke, everyone. <laughs> that's all. That's a lot of evidence piling up right there. <laughs> Irrefutable. So, under in all of this jamboree about Gavin being there, the underlying current <laughs> is that although Biggs was a hero and he did the right thing, <laughs> wait, isn't that a Disney ride? With, with, with bears playing guitars. Uh, <laughs> now I'm imagining Gavin's family has a bunch of fuzzy bears playing guitars. Oh my God. The Country Bear Jamboree was not a ride, but it was a musical like stage show with animatronic bears. However, both at Disneyland and Disney World, I'm pretty sure at Disney World, but at least at Disneyland, it had been closed down um, due to lack of popularity, and it is now the home of a Winnie the Pooh dark ride. I cannot imagine why Singing Bears was closed down due to lack of popularity. It was good! <laughs> it was good. And you got to rest your feet for like 15 minutes, so it was worthwhile to have. I'm just terrified by the idea of animatronic bears. I mean, they were like people bears. It <laughs> <That> doesn't help <laughs> So Ewoks? <laughs> No, those are murder bears. <laughs> oh, it's my bad. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not super fond of like animatronic things or puppets. <laughs> I don't think I would have enjoyed that. Oh, Saph, I have a really important secret to tell you about myself. Oh no! <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> so the point is puppet? that when reading the scene now, I'm imagining that Gavin's family is a bunch of animatronic bears singing and playing guitars around a campfire. <laughs> And banjo. Yes, and banjo, obviously. Time in. (laughs) (laughs) Time in. (laughs) (laughs) The underlying current. I love that all of that just happened because you said the word jamboree, (laughs) which is an amazing word. That's what they're having. Okay. (laughs) So good. It's a big bonfire hullabaloo. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> wasn't that a Disney ride? The hullabaloo? <laughs> Shut up, no, it wasn't. <laughs> okay. The underlying current is that although Biggs was a hero and did the right thing, Gavin had faced the same peril and survived, planting him as better than Biggs in the mind of the parents. 
Corin is not okay with the children and having to be responsible in front of them. So he'd be one of those terrible babysitters. If Corin was a babysitter, he'd be the kind of babysitter that would just leave. He would would show up like when the parents are there. When the parents leave, he'd wait five minutes, then leave. Then just walk out. Then come back five minutes before they're supposed to come back. And that's basically exactly what happened in this chapter. (laughs) He'd use the babies as, like, therapists and, like, talk to them about his dead dad. (laughs) And then the parents would come back and be like, why do our kids keep crying when we leave? Uh, I was thinking he'd, like, take them out on the town and use them to pick up girls and then, like, just leave them somewhere and go on a date. (laughs) That's even better. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. Corin, put an end to that. So Corin, feeling sad, leaves the party, and he's sad because everyone else has a family and his dad is dead. Which, please recall in the previous episode, where he tells Iella that it all fades into, so it's not painful anymore. He's over it. So over it. So over it. Jula comes and talks to him. And he asks if Gavin almost died. And Corrin's explains that they all have. But yes, Gavin in particular had a close call. Ga- uh, Gavin. Corrin actually says something nice. And about Gavin, he says, he's brave without being stupid. He's the sort of person who is the rebellion's backbone. And the reason it has succeeded as well as it has. Jula then goes to say that he's proud of him. Just like Corrin's parents must be for him. Oh. <laughs> oh. Just and rubbing co- it in. And of course, Corrin's like, I don't have any parents. Just like Batman. I was about to say he goes <laughs> very Batman. <laughs> so Batman. My parents are dead. My parents are dead. <laughs> oh. But with this, Jula gives him some words of wisdom. And he says... Perhaps that means you should just let your negative thoughts go. Nothing's wrong with feeling and acknowledging sorrow and pain, Lieutenant Horn. The crime is letting them hold you prisoner. Come on back and we'll do all we can to set you free. The Dark Lighters believe in treating friends like family and family like friends. And we're always glad to add yet one more to the family. They're so good. So basically, Gavin's family is the best in the universe. Except Huff, who is indeed Jabba the Hutt. Right. Correct. <laughs> it's weird that Corin didn't comment on the fact that Gavin's entire family is Gamorreans. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, how'd they become Gamorreans? I thought they were bears. <laughs> <laughs> what is that happening? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well... Back on the space station. <laughs> Fuzzy Gamorians. <laughs> <laughs> Fuzzy Wuzzy the... was a Gamorian. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the space station. No, we need to just stop and record this episode next week, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, we are continuing, Danny. We, we are good. This is great. pod fashion, we are not giving up. So much excellent hashtag content. <laughs> we cut to Wedge, 
who is woken by a familiar voice. And the words out of his mouth are, this has to be a dream, a nightmare even. No surprise, it's (laughs) M-Tray. So, a nightmare. (laughs) Yes! I was actually really glad that he was back. M-Tray. So before this, we find out that Wedge and Oral went out to Rishi, where a possible store of X-Wing and parts were. It wasn't a good... It wasn't as good of a cash as they were hoping, and it was much more troublesome than expected, but they did manage to get probably two X-Wings worth worth of parts. Tycho is now just hanging out on the doorway watching Wedge sleep, and thought it'd be nice <laughs> for him to wake up to Entrey's voice. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Normal bro things. <laughs> <laughs> then, my favorite part of this chapter... Please just picture Emtray helping Wedge into his bathrobe. <laughs> because that is what happens. Oh, uh, I oh love that God. Tycho is just, like, watching him sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Tycho must be, like, really bored right now. <laughs> He's like, I was in prison for the last however many months. I got nothing but time. And it was much more interesting than what you all do. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Tycho then gives Wedge a rundown of what's been happening while he's been off with Oral. And we find out that Janto Donna actually designed the A-Wings before he was captured and sent to Lysankia. So that's a nice little tidbit. Back on Coruscant, we find out that Incom, a shipbuilder, offered to bring the official rogue squadron up to state-of-the-art and refit them with brand new A-Wings. The Elder Kraken, or Akbar accepted this offer, and all of the old equipment, including the X-Wings, the the um, RT units, as well as M-Tray, were surplused out as broken parts. Winter found out about it and bought everything for cheap because they were all missing their PL1s, which is the designated designation for pilots. <laughs> so sneaky. I love it. So basically, Akbar or the Elder Kraken gamed the system and got the rogues all of their normal supplies back. I like how literally everyone is on Team Rogue Squadron except for Borsk. Right. Like, the only reason they're doing this is because of Borsk. Right. Like, sorry, Borsk. But we'll make Borsk mad. Let's do it. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's part of it. Like, part of it is to help the rogues. The other part is that Akbar just hates him. Yeah. We also find out that Zrai and the other techs also quit and follow the ships to their base. Amtray cost a little extra, but Tycho thought he was worth it. Best friends forever. Mm. Tycho goes on to give Wedge a tour of the base. I assume Wedge changed from his bathrobes into regular clothes, but maybe not. It's a compact space, but it was meant to make it easier for the station to stay in orbit, but also cause trouble for any troops that happen to storm them. There are other folks on the base, but as much as Wedge wants to keep them out of harm's way, they really do need people to do non-essential functions, because apparently Wedge can't cook for crap. Also, very importantly, we hear the the phrase, I get the hologram, Tycho. (laughs) And I swear this book is just so 90s teenager. It's so good. (laughs) I get the hologram. (laughs) (laughs) So awful. I hate Star Wars. <laughs> I think it's every episode, but I hate it. It's fine, Seth. I get the hologram. <laughs> Seth, wake up and smell the esp calf. This is Star Wars. 
It's a new galaxy. The Emperor's dead, Sam. I'm quitting the podcast. <laughs> no, you're not. You're stuck here forever. Yeah, I, can't, I can't leave. We find out that there's no station manager. Sorry, station manager. Station master. But they have an economics council for now. But Wedge and Cole will need to instill a new one, but have no candidates. Near the end of their tour, they see the Pulsar skate arrive and go to meet it. <clears throat> when Wedge and Tycho enter the hangar, Wedge is surprised to see the X-Wings get a makeover. Now that they don't need to match the New Republic, they can have their X-Wings painted however they want and change their IFF codes. Tycho changed his to the color scheme of the Alderanian Guard unit near his home, uh, would have used, and his IFF signal, single, signal, good job, Meg, uh, to match the Another Chance. Wedge asks Tycho to paint his X-Wing black and green, sorry, black with green and gold checks, the color scheme his parents would have used when they bought their own fueling station before they were killed by pirates. This is lovely. I think it's really sweet. I'm glad that they all get to have really awesome X-Wings now. It's like Sabine with the TIE Fighter. Yeah. Oh my god, imagine Sabine's X-Wing. Be beautiful. That'd be rad. I was like, looking at the... When I read this paragraph, I was like, wait, the cover just has normal X-Wings on it, but actually one of the X-Wings has a red stripe and one of them has a blue stripe. So I guess the cover does reflect this. (laughs) But the cover artist picked like the two most boring X-Wings to put on here. (laughs) Right. It's like Rosati's. (laughs) Yeah. Who's Rosati again? Exactly. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, my favorite part is that we, fi- we find out that Oral's X-Wing looks super plain to humans, but it's a masterpiece in the ultraviolet range. I love that so much. Oral is just so cool. Like, he's just the coolest alien. Yeah, he's really great. I mean, he can punch holes in people's skulls and paint these beautiful things in ultraviolet, and I'm just into it. They go and meet the crew who are disembarking the Pulsar Skate, including Booster. And Booster and Wedge have a teary reunion because everyone loves Wedge, like I mentioned before. And we also meet a couple new people. El Skull Loro and Sixtus Quinn. Did that autocorrect on me? Yeah, it did. El Skull was in Rogue Squadron after the Truce of Bakura, which is a crap book. And Sixtus was a special (laughs) intelligence operative (laughs) who was betrayed by his handlers, so he turned to the turned away from the Empire. What they do now is go run to worlds under Imperial rule and help liberate them by starting resistance movements, supplying weapons, and support. They were actually on their way to Typhera when they received Wedge's message. How fortuitous. Okay, so this this book. (laughs) <laughs> so we're rogue squadron and we've got this planet and there's imperials on it and we need to free the planet oh look here are two people who do exactly that exact thing for other planets maybe they can help us yeah sure is. <laughs> yeah how convenient <laughs> so convenient yeah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good job, Wedge. Yeah. Also, <laughs> let's talk about Elskull, Loro, and Sixtus Win. <laughs> yes. What would you like to talk about? 
They're, those are peak Star Wars names right there. They are yeah. so <laughs> Sixtus Win is really good. <laughs> it's just whew, that's that is Star Wars. That is Star Wars for us. No words. This is like the ultimate Star Wars book from the early 2000s. <laughs> Do you think Sixtus and Elskull like to drink Espcaf? Stop. 100% Stop. they do. <laughs> and they have dewback steaks with topedos all the time. <laughs> topedos. <laughs> and I'm they dying. smoke tabak. And <laughs> I'm just going to stab myself in the stomach right now. I can feel my insides shriveling up in disgust. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, I'm so glad this exists. Well, none of the other rogues have any ideas on how to overthrow our government. Probably good. <laughs> These two know exactly what to do. The numbers on the ground are in their favor, as long as the Raytrix would join them, or at the very least, not interfere. The problem is the ships in orbit could easily undo any good they do on the ground. The key will be to give Isard too many things to think about, so she's on the defense rather than offense. Then they can take out her fleets and support little by little without being overwhelmed. The chapter ends with the line, I think the first thing we want to do is make Iceheart very mad. Which, okay, sounds good. That's all Corrin ever wants to do. (laughs) The next chapter starts off in the X-Wing, and Corrin is conflicted because he has to steal Bacta from Iceheart, and it's everything he's ever fought against. The Abyss has gazed into him, Corrin Horn. What does that mean? So there's a quote <laughs> about like whoever fights monsters. Um, and like when you stare into the abyss, the abyss looks back into you. And so you can only do like something for so long before it changes you as well. And you become the thing you hate. Wow. Um, you see it a lot in reference to people who hunt serial killers. Uh-huh. Anyway. Eventually they become serial killers themselves? No, but they become like dark and tortured. Oh, right. So the point of this whole exercise is that it'll force Isart to send more security with every back-to-convoy she sends out, stretching her resources thin. Then it's a few pages of some space fighting. They're flying against some headhunters, some uglies, as well as some ties. The important thing to note is that Oral is a baller and has precision shooting. Yeah, Oral was MVP this week. 100%. Yeah. And at the end of the chapter, Wedge convinced the pilots of the convoy that once they make the deliveries that the rogues want, they'll be free to go. So, mostly space battle. We're going to glaze over that. In the next chapter, Corn and Earl's Bacta run is delivered to a foral court of Halonit. <laughs> <laughs> what? Farl. Do you think Halonit. Farl is friends with Elskull and Sixtus? <laughs> I like Farl because it's really just Carl with an F. <laughs> and it's not hard to say. Yeah, if you switch to the letters, it'd be Carl Fort. Which right, is so a fort made out of bros named Carl. I hope that's exactly how they came up with it, too. <laughs> um, Helenit is a frozen moon which whose core is just hot enough to make it hospitable, but it's still not the greatest place to be. They had pulled out a 
put out a call for Bacta because they had a virus going around that is quick to mutate and reinfect those who are just recovering. It's pretty benign, mostly just like flu-like symptoms, but for a small colony on a harsh world, going through too much of the food supply could mean doom for everybody. I think I had that, because I keep going back. I think you did. I think I did. (laughs) Also, I just want to point out that humans are the worst in science fiction. (laughs) <laughs> because they can never pick somewhere nice to live. They're always like, oh, let's live on this desolate planet that's completely frozen, except for the fact that it's kind planet. of warm inside. Um, so, Corn and Oral offer the Bacta for free, but the, but the people of the planet always give something in return and will not accept charity. And they don't care about dealing with pirates or stolen goods because colonists have to do what they gotta do. Corn and Oral, after making a big hubbub about how, oh, I would totally pay half a million credits for a hot bath and a hot dinner, um, say that that's enough in exchange for the Bacta. So they that, strike up a really cheap deal. It was, it was kind of cute. It was cute. I'll give him that one. Yeah. Yeah. But they kept saying hot fish, and it just really bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> Are you bothered by hot fish, Meg? I think I am. Yeah, definitely. I <laughs> definitely really, am, too. It's super truly hot. by hot fish. I thought you were into Mon Calahati. I am into Admiral Akbar the Mon Calahati. Ah. He also has just a really good personality. So. Ah, yes. Yeah. You know. Anyway. I, I actually do. The more serious and sad part of this chapter. No! Tycho, after escorting oh, his own back to I'll be right back, I can't. Nope, you're staying right here, <laughs> he Has decided to make his return TM to the Alderaan graveyard. Uh, it's so sad. He bought a memory capsule and gifts for his loved ones, as is the tradition for any Alderanians who are still around in order to pay respect to those who perished. We get background on his former fiance, Niestra. They were childhood friends, and Tycho knew from a super young age that he loved her and would marry her. She agreed to wait through his time in the academy, as well as his first year of, tie- of duty as a TIE pilot. When he survived, which they never had a doubt about, he'd get a promotion, stability, and the opportunity to wed. Tycho always knew that it was not the rebels who were responsible for the destruction of Alderaan, since Alderaan was a source of their strength. He also knew that Papa Palpatine dissolved the Senate before Alderaan was destroyed, and that gave Tycho that much more proof that about who was really to blame. On the next time he got to take leave on Kamenor, Tycho defected, joining the rebels. Many on Alderaan thought that their disarmament and pacifism was going to save them from the dangers of the galaxy. Only Bale and Leia really believed otherwise, but were unsuccessful in rallying those around them. There's a good quote with Tycho um, where he's thinking that pacifism for the sake of pacifism is the height of arrogant selfishness when that belief prevents you from acting to save others from harm. Also attributable to Captain America. Also, basically, in the A-Team movie, <laughs> when, <laughs> when uh, B.A., who is the, the Mr. T character, right, 
um, he swears off violence after the team gets broken up. And then when he comes back, he's having a really hard time about whether or not he is capable of killing anyone anymore. And um, Hannibal comes in because he's really looking up to Gandhi about being peaceful, which that's problematic in its own way. But whatever. Pass for now. <laughs> and But Hannibal comes in and tells him, you know, there's another quote by Gandhi where it basically is the same thing where you have to, if you have to fight for something that's right, you need to do it. And... You know, Taiko takes heart in this. Um, but it also means that the person he is now is not the person who would be compatible with Niestra. That's okay. So, she's dead. Wow, Seth. Thanks. <laughs> Seth. <laughs> Seth, I feel it's hologram. Wow. Yeah, I, I get the hologram, like, Seth. We would fetch now. And it's like, well, I mean, sure, but she right, is right. dead. Right, right, right. And if you would let me finish before you say something sad, <laughs> Tycho was unsure of what to gift to leave, what gift to leave for her, because he knew um, that the man he is now does not match her. But it's exactly why he and Winter make such a good pair. Yes. And it was actually Winter who suggested the perfect gift: a crystal sphere with the continents of Alderaan etched onto the surface, with Niestra's hologram in the middle, forever preserving the dream that they had. Ugh my heart so sappy <laughs> my poor poor heart and and Tycho leaves a message and it's beautiful and sad and then he turns around and goes back to fighting just like captain america uh, there's so much space trash there uh, it wouldn't be safe to fly around the area no but he did it he did it okay michael He's... stackpole we need to talk He's wonderful. <laughs> yes. Oh, God, here we go. What would you like to talk about, Danny? <laughs> so far, in the Back to War, <laughs> we began with Corn and Mirax, super trashy, sleeping together. <laughs> then we had Flurry Voru being a giant perv. Yep. Then Corn and Gavin go to. Tatooine, where they have a jamboree with some bears. <laughs> yep. Yep. Then they steal some Bacta and have some hot fish. <laughs> and everyone's just having a rip-roar a good time, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here's, like, super major feels about Tycho, like, mourning the entire planet that he's lost and his lost lover and putting the memorial... Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. What gave you the right, Mike Stackpole? <laughs> yeah, let's start there. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay i'm sure it'll just get happier from here yeah speaking of people who are happy it is not ice hard no <laughs> she's not happy so mission accomplished rogues voru is trying to calm her down but she ain't having it Voru is trying to conduct business, but Isard wants blood, which I think is the perfect description of their relationship. Voru has a plan to have the planets who are accepting the Bacta fly cover on their own. That way, when Wedge can't hit the convoys, it'll, it would cause bad blood between them and those neutral parties. 
Isard is going to let Vora do whatever he wants against the rogues so that when she strikes, it'll be, oh my god, I can't believe this happened! And, like, probably everybody dies. So, Voru literally just turned into Kiritan lore. Yeah, except probably more business savvy. And least of all, worse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he's at least not afraid to call Isard on being like, whoa, girl, you need to reel it in. Right, but the way she's treating him is exactly the same. Oh, yeah. She's just like, do what Everyone. you want, it doesn't matter because then I'll do my thing. Everyone is kitten lore mat to Fleury vore mat. Exactly. Ooh. 100%. Come on, come on. So, that, was, that was pretty good. That was that was pretty good. Back on, I'll give you back that. Back on the space again. Wedge. I bet Rancors can dance beautifully. Please do not force your standards of beauty onto them. That's the most important part of this chapter. <laughs> <laughs> I miss, like, what are you referring to? Oh, because Booster comes in and they discuss for a little while about how, Booster, you should give Corrin a chance. And if you can't control your daughter, how could I? Lol, lol, lol. And then Wedge goes on to comment that he would never, like, intentionally try to, um, you know, push Booster's buttons because that would be like training a Rancor to dance or something. And it would be ugly and people would die. (laughs) Oh, Wedge. Yeah. Not cool, bro. No. You don't know a first thing about Rancors, okay? (laughs) So Wedge offers Booster the opportunity to fly the Typharian tanker that will get Mirax, Corrin, Elskull, Sixtus, and Yella down to the planet. That was so Star Wars. <laughs> Booster says no, it's too small for him. And we find out a little bit about his time in Kessel, and that it was really the boredom and the... I always say this word, word, word wrong. Uh, monotony. That ground him down during his five years stay. That's why he now travels all over the place making deals for friends, so he's always doing something and meeting people. He makes Wedge a counteroffer, which is to let him run the station. By making it a prosperous trading station, they'll stay in the good graces of the people and planets around them by bringing in capital and information. Hopefully the people won't want to sell Wedge out to Iceheart as long as they have a lot of cash coming in. Wedge agrees, and everything's looking great. Yay, money! Yay, Ooh. pirates! Booster Tarek. I'm scared of Booster. You should be. He's terrifying. I think he's gonna act super nice, and he's gonna betray them at the last second. Oh, girl. <laughs> Look, I, I have daddy issues. <laughs> <laughs> Just like Corrin. Just like Corrin. <laughs> no one has Except daddy issues like Corrin. Nothing like Corrin. Probably more like Luke. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't trust him. He got given power too easily. That's that's fair. That's fair. So that's a good setup for where we're going to go into next week. A lot of the first pieces are on the board. And probably now a lot of crap is going to go down. Good, good. Let's talk some questions then. So last week we asked you, what kinds of things is Huff Darklighter 
secretly transporting on his ships. Um, Sarah said, Huff ships out commemorative bus and coins of Big Stark later, hero of Yavin. He's also trying to option a hollow film. I would watch that. Oh, movie. yeah, me too. <laughs> I love that idea of commemorative busts of Bigs. Oh, so sad. I, I feel like Luke Skywalker would be the first in line to buy one, and it would be beautiful. Oh, yeah, 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 he would. And we also want to give a special shout-out to Sarah, who sent us some amazing panels from old comics, including a Tycho and Winter smooch, which fits right into our Trashy Romance theme. So thank you for sending those to us. We'll be reblogging those on our Tumblr. Raising Fangirl said that we took their answer, um, but then they're going to say spray paint, whipped cream cans, and super glue. He's ready for some pranks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I like it. And then Ian Miller said, Legend tells of the crate dragon and its fiery breath. Not a real thing, just a legend. It was so hot that when it snored, it created abstract sculptures. Modern tattooing art has a genre called cratedids from this. Huff has a thriving black market in them with Hiram off Mantuine Mantuine third. I'm glad we <laughs> have Mantuine Mantuine back in our lives. That so makes me glad. very happy. I missed him after I killed yeah, him in too. that one RPG <laughs> sorry bro (laughs) Um, so for this week's question what are some rumors that Booster could spread about the restricted section on his trade station Gungan dancers (laughs) you mean Gungan strippers (laughs) (laughs) please say what you mean yeah be frank (laughs) but I'm sad Good joke. Uh, I love that joke. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm going to say ghosts. Mm. <laughs> and he'll peri- periodically actually hire people to like be doused in some kind of like effervescent white paint and spookily go through the halls. And just make noises and like playing chains around. <laughs> so he's going all in on this. Room. Oh, what Booster does not do things halfway. I like it. Country bear jamboree. <laughs> <laughs> but wouldn't they make everyone want to visit then? It's jamboree. Uh, I'm gonna say that. He tells everybody that it's full of protocol droids who are broken and can't stop winking. <laughs> oh, no one would no. ever go there. <laughs> Smart. Anyways, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to answer our question, you can hit us up on Twitter at RoguePodron. You can also find us on Tumblr at RoguePodron.tumblr.com. Our email, now that we have one that works, is RoguePodron at gmail.com. And you can subscribe to us via the Far Far Away radio feed on iTunes, Stitcher, FeedBurner, or Google Play. That's it for our show tonight. But next time, make sure to join us for X-Wing, The Back to War, chapters 13 through 18. And with that, this is Rogue Podron signing off. Pash out. Pew, 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 Rogue Leader signing off. Rogue Six signing off. Rogue Seven signing off. Rogue Three signing off.
Anyway, let us pod the cast. Let's do it. <clears throat> On that super lighthearted note. Go on. Yes. <laughs> yes. Danny. <laughs> Why? Did you have something else to say? <laughs> or No. No. Oh. Of course not. <laughs> you said why would let's... why would one say <laughs> speaking of blah blah blah. And I didn't then say not... speaking of. You said a very serious thing, and then you said, Okay, let's pod the cast, and I said yes, on that very serious note. See, normally when someone says on that note, they say something else after. <laughs> <laughs> Danny is just trying to break down social constructs. <laughs> <Come okay. on. laughs> That's usually how that goes, Danny. <laughs> Apparently a gender-neutral pronoun for all is too much for society to handle, so I'm trying something else, okay? <laughs> just let it slide. <laughs> Give me this one thing. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Speaking of Corin, <laughs> I appreciate that. That was a good Danny reference. <laughs> it's a good callback. Um, I don't get so the it. Next... <laughs> I know. So the next... <laughs>